Welcome to Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions with hosts Shannon Reynolds of Visionary Creative Concepts and Branding and Jared L. White, the man behind the creative brand Tim K. Unlimited. Together, they are the co-creators of the Not Your Enemy Collections. The Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions are a forum to continue conversations amongst Black artists, creatives, and cultivators. We are excited for you to join our conversation. This is Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another episode of the Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions. We're back up again, guys. Um, Shannon, how you feeling today? I'm good. It's Saturday. It's nice outside. It's great. Oh, it feels great to be feeling to be Saturday. Yes. Um, I'm so happy to be here today and with you ladies. Um, on Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions today, we have an incredible person with an incredible journey. I've always looked up to this young lady's journey and her work ethic. Um, she is a creative and marketing genius. Um, she wants us to look at her as the brainchild to Mark Zuckerberg and Rihanna. Um, and, you know, anybody who says that, <laughs> they know what they're doing. Um, Ms. Sapphire Stubbs, she is a Temple University alum, a WHIP student-run radio station Woo-hoo. alum. <laughs> and she's also one of our one of our dearest friends. Sapphire, welcome to the Speak Out session. Hi, guys. I'm so good. I'm so excited. This is like... Such a great start to my Saturday morning. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, perfect. Thank you for thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, and you yeah. like literally haven't aged a bit. You going, girl? Listen. <laughs> so the first question we ask everybody that comes on is, how has the current social climate impacted you? I think that that's a really great question and heavy question. Um, I think that. I think that like when we're, when we're talking social climate, are we talking really just the state of the pandemic, like the state of the world from 2020 until now? Or we, we talk about the social climate. So it could be the pandemic. It could be the racial injustices. It could be whatever has socially impacted. impacted you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's for my interpretation. Okay. okay. So uh, I, I think that when, when things started, the interesting thing is that um, my world shifted, and we can get into that story a little bit later, but my world shifted in like 2019. I was probably at the lowest of uh, my adult life that I could have been. So when 2020 happened, it really was only up for me. <laughs> like, um, And so I think that when everything happened, I, I had to make a choice with myself of, am I going to use this time of pause to to better myself or am I, am I going to get even lower than I was? So um, I think I had to just be like, I can only go up. And so what the social climate, it, it, yes, the short answer is yes, it has impacted me. Um, But how it's impacted me has just been a turn of where we weren't ever, uh, we weren't ever putting ourselves specifically as black women. I think like self-care, wellness, health all those things we never we looked at everyone else to take care of before ourselves so this year was like discovering how to do that and with the social climate of like how to do that and then also taking it's affecting me because I, I want to take advantage of the world was flattened like we were all experiencing the same thing we were all angry about similar things now it felt like it, it was just flattened so if it's flattened then I'm gonna I'm gonna take my time to have the the 
the confidence that I should like other people that don't look like me have and take those opportunities. And so I think that's how it's affected me. It's like, since it's, since we're in a flattened world, this is now the perfect time for people of, of, of color, black folks, women to just kind of get some of those things that we weren't going to get before. Um, Sapphire, like I told you, I, I am so proud of you and um, impressed and inspired by you because what you did was something that what you spoke about now, you, it was something that I watched you do in college countless times. You took advantage of what was happening and you took advantage to take yourself to the next step. You had so such self-awareness and confidence to know that you can take it to the next level, regardless of what the disadvantage was, regardless of what the landscape was, even when the world was not flattened, you were doing what you had to do to get to that next level. Um, so I, I appreciate I uh, appreciate your ability to strategize in that particular way because a lot of people can't. You know, a lot of people fall yeah. short when it's time to pull up. So you and I, I think that that idea of like that I, that self awareness. I, I don't know if I ever knew that it was self awareness until now. So thank you for for even saying that. I think what my only thing has always been. I, I don't think you as a person that is doing anything, you can ever think of yourself as like, I'm doing this and I haven't seen it or I'm doing this or whatever. All I think about is like, you either got to do it scared or not at all. So mm. I'm, I'm always scared, but I'm always mm. going to do it. <laughs> I appreciate you for um, just saying that because people, we just right. had to ask her on um, prior to this and she was talking about that, the, this, the things that you do and you're most fearful just imagine what you could do when you don't have that fear anymore. So the things that you've already accomplished is just imagine when you keep going and keep pushing because you're walking yeah. your truth. Um, now, as we mentioned, we talk, met everyone we all met here at college. Um, I want to talk about how important your college experiences is and, and how important is it still to the, the new batch of kids growing up? Yeah, I think that, so I have immigrant parents. Um, they did not go to college. My mom is from um, Trinidad. My dad is from the Bahamas. Um, and none of my siblings went to college. My brother went to jail at 18. My sister passed away. Well, she was a she was a police officer, um, but she passed away at 30. Um, so I was the first person to go to college in my family. Um, and I mean, and this is in what, 2006. So we're not talking like 90s, like, you know what I mean? Like, so um, the first person to go to, to college. And I think that I'm from York, Pennsylvania. There's, you know, Amish people close to us in Lancaster and a lot of farmland, no Caribbean folks, basically, and, and um, not really many things to see. And I knew I wanted to, originally, I wanted to go to an HBCU and uh, got accepted in the Hampton. It was, everything was, was great. And then my mom was like, oh, I'm not paying for college. You know, you have to pay for all that. But like just the week before I was about to leave. And so I, um, was like, shit out of luck. Can I say that? I was, I was out of luck. And I, um, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I stayed home. All my friends was in, were in college. And then, uh, luckily Temple gave me like a scholarship because my SAT scores were high. And so, um, but I didn't even have the best GPA, but I guess they needed to lift their thing or something. So I got in on like a little bit of a scholarship. My dad paid a little bit of it. And then I just like kind of tried to pay for the rest or get grants. And, um, and I came like a semester late. And so it was, so it was a blessing. Um, even though I didn't know at the time, because I think that's why I fell into WHIP. Why? Because I just was, I didn't have that initial freshman Motley crew. So I had to like do a little bit more digging of finding my place and finding my social um, settings. And I knew I had came to Temple to um, have a degree in radio. I had worked in at Baltimore's uh, 92Q 
as like an intern. And then when I, they introduced me to like some of the Philly radio people. And then I was like, okay, this is just what I'm going to go to school for because I didn't know any other career. I was just like, I like going to the radio station. Um, but I know I don't want to have something like regular. Um, and so I think college was just so important because I came to Philly. I didn't have any city experience. I, and, and if you're going to come up in anywhere, we all came of age between like that. You're a kid at from 18 to 25. I feel like you're a kid. So in any place to grow up is Philly. That tenacity, like I always say, Philly just makes you different. Like there, there's no, there's no place like growing up in Philly. I feel like I, even though like I, I love New York, I'm here now, but that it's just gritty. Like, it's just like, you have to figure out everything just seems so accessible. And because you're in a city, but the cost of living is cheaper. I feel like you get, but you're on the East coast. I feel like you get to do some things because you don't need much money to kind of discover what you want to do. So I always say that like Philly made me and I would not be who I am and have like that, like again, tenacity because I can't think of another word, but uh, that like uh, that grind if if I had landed anywhere else, HBCU or not, because, and then you get like, I think what makes me excited or what I always look back at is you get a bit of a HBCU experience, but you're, but you also get, um, because if you got 40,000 kids and, and 10,000 of them are black, you, you are at a small HBCU. So yeah. <laughs> I always like felt like I had like the best of both worlds. And then I pledged while I was in school, like later on. And, um, even being in a sorority, I think that like, I, I'm not one to talk about it much, but I do know that that alone, like just having to, I, like, we don't, I don't think there's for kids now in college, I think that there's few times where you put yourself in like a strenuous situation. So I think that actually this year of, of the struggle they're having is going to give them some, uh, they're going to come out with some really, really good ideas. Um, and create things we've never seen. But I do think that like between starting with, or like, um, we're not, well, we didn't start it, but like transitioning into like the digital, it just felt like we were building something. And I think I got to feel like I was building something twice in college and it, and it really has like empowered me to keep those same like notions in mind of like, if you don't have all the pieces, find the pieces. Hmm. Wow, do you? Um, and for those of who don't know what we're talking about, WHIP, Temple Student, our radio station is where we all got together and really honed these skill sets. I think we are what, doing the same things now that we were doing then. <laughs> um, I had no idea that we were going to continue walking into the space. Um, yeah. Now understanding that, you know, you are from immigrant parents, you grew up in Lancaster, you know, that's why that college experience was so important to you, you know, with people with how the world is set up, you just spoke about digital, and people can get their YouTube universities and just make they don't really even need to get these degrees to make this money. Um, to make this kind of money, even if we got yeah. this reason still not making the money that we thought that we would, yeah. you know, <laughs> if you think now for, you know, young adults coming up, it, the college experience is as important, especially for black Americans that, you knowing that we, or black immigrants, knowing that sometimes we go to college and amass some huge amounts of debt that we can barely get out of, yeah. you know, I'm still struggling with that. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that the college experience is, is still worth it? I think that I see I've always been even when I was in school because of just my family and stuff I, I never actually thought I don't think like college is so dependent on your career I think always college and your secondary education is, is based on the individual I am not an entrepreneur I don't have an entrepreneurial like 
spirit. I need a little bit of structure around me. Like I can take off at a startup, but I'm not going to do the startup. So like I, and, and it just won't be me. You know what I mean? Where it's just college might never be a person's thing. Am I going to tell somebody that really wants to, what, what I think college does do for young people is that it makes you stick to something for four years. And that's really what I think it does. So I think that apprenticeship, it's any, um, any like uh, vocational schooling, you need that discipline as a, as a teenager get going into your early adult life to stick to something. I don't care if you intern at freaking whatever, a label or something, or like if you want to go into something crazy for four years, two years doing it, and then two other years being assistant, getting some odd jobs, but you need to stick to one thing for four years. It just teaches you something that you don't have to replicate as you go through your like trajectory, your career trajectory. But I think whatever you choose, you do what's smart for you. I think that if you know that you don't want to do anything that a college degree offers, then it is a waste of money. But I think you still should choose what if you're a hairdresser and you know you have a love for that, you need to be under somebody and be going to school for the same time so you can get reared. As I think I never knew the importance of that until my 30s of you don't even know what you're doing the first year. You don't know what you're doing in anything until you have you've gone through each season of something. And I think that's so important. Until you know in winter, spring, summer, and fall what a place is like, you don't know how to do anything because things change per season. Mm. Like it's just natural in life. So if you don't know what you're doing until year one, you need year two just to figure out what you want to do. And so that's what college sets up for us. And I never knew that until I got older. Uh-huh. There we go. That was like a, a moment. Um, that was a gem. <laughs> so I will say that when yeah. like your spirit, right? Like when you come into a room, you exude the spirit. And I think even when you came to WHIP, like you were like, I'm taking over. Like I got, you know what I mean? But you come with yeah. your joyful spirit. Um, so when you come into the room, you kind of set the tone. Um, and that is all, that's all flowers. <laughs> and um, I always admire that. Even though I was a GM, I was like, this, you know, I always saw the, pe- like the team that I had the year that I was a GM. All y'all were like, amazing. Like, Thank you. All but I think we were- all needed like a leader though. Like, I think I was, I'm never, I'm always looking for people to be my mentor, people to be under. And that's, I was under you all the time. I was like, I want to take what you call, but if I wasn't under nobody, I was under you. So, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I just was like, you know what I mean? I, I'm here to learn and that's what I always want to do. So I think that, thank you so much. But I mean, I think that like that you're only, you're, you're only as good as your mentors and your leaders around you. Oh my God. I, again, exemplifying what I'm talking about. Um, but so I feel like you always have the tenacity, even like when we continued the radio station, you did the on-air talent, you did the uh, marketing, you set up events and things of that nature. I felt like you always were, reinventing yourself um or even expanding yourself um to grow and to learn more so do you feel like you continue to do that you know even after college I do I always tell uh Jared every once in a while like when it's been a while and we need to lift up like we're phoenixes and we continue to burn to the ashes and rise again and the thing is you if anything, you don't ever cross us because you will see us again in another life and another version of what we're doing. You know what I mean? And I think that like I always go to I always find my community and my and my tribe as long as I have my and I get a tribe anywhere. So as long as my tribe is good, wherever I'm going, that's what I stick to. I don't necessarily um, 
stick to just like this certain like path of things. I think that I think that the radio station really taught us that and just like what we came there for because I was like I'm gonna be on their talent to like oh I don't like being I don't like being on the mic like let me like do programming I like I like to set up processes <laughs> like, um, and so I I think that taught me that was just to be to be pretty malleable in in what I um, in what I can do so I I, I think that um, or I feel that that everyone should should kind of be that way if they can. Uh, I think we're talking about like, if you, you know, the decisions you make when you're that, that stuck to me, like, or that kind of like, um, is heavy on me because when I, I always, especially during this time when we say like, I, um, what, what decisions you make when you're fearful, think about what you make when you won't, you should always be fearful a little bit. Why are you doing things that don't scare you? If you continue for, if you didn't, done something don't scare you for more than four years switch it up you know what I mean like you should be doing things that scare you you should always have a little bit of because you know fear is something that they, they make scary movies for a reason it's because fear intrigues us so if you're if you're fearful of it you're intrigued by it so so go to do those things like I'm always like I know that I'm like okay like I say like do it but do it scared it's okay but I'm a, I'm a always do it but if I'm a, I'm a little bit scared then that means I'm on the right path mm. if I'm chilling with it then it's not speaking to me no more. But, and so that's how I think I envision or how I think I, I think I keep reinventing myself. Cause I don't, I just go to where the, where the scaries are. Yeah. And you go, you go where your passions are, you know, talk to me about yeah. marketing and entertainment. Like where did that love for those things come from? I know you speak about your radio past, but where did, where did that come from? Cause you was always into the music. Like you knew it was hot coming out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love this question because I think that I, um, Originally, I just was like, I cannot be in York, Pennsylvania. Like, I have to get out. I was like, and the only thing I could go, like, what do I know? Oh, radio station. So I went to the internship, like, my senior year, because they let us, like, you know, when you can kind of go off and do something if you want, like, you're in some high schools. So they let us go off, and I was at the radio station. I was like, oh, I like this. And, um, and like, I just kind of had some kind of connection to it that I didn't really know. So I, I do that. I get an internship at Def Jam. And have that during my college years and I feel really connected to that, then I kind of get like, not like between laid off yet, but also just like my boss was like, so here's the thing, I'm either going to give you this full-time job or you need to like go finish your, um, go finish your degree. Because if I give you this full-time job, you cannot do it and be in school. And I was like in the office, like a couple of days and, um, and I was like, and she just had a real talk. I don't think you're going to be able to really do this if you want to finish your degree. And I was like, okay, then I'm just going to finish my degree. They were downsizing some things anyway. Um, and then I left that still not really, I knew that like, I, I always loved music. It's just something that speaks to me on like a different level. Like I, I will dissect music always and I will go do crazy things. Like I play a song all day, just one song because the cadence calms me. So like, and people are like, yeah, I can't listen to a song more than twice back to back. I will run that thing back 50, <laughs> 60 times a year. You know that. So like I think that like I never so all this time I never knew I never knew like I um I ended up uh going into marketing and I knew that I was a STEM kid so I like science and math marketing and science and math so it's like the perfect thing now at the time when I was in school I was like doing everything for like uh, music business um that kind of a uh, communications lane and I didn't really know that then, but when I got into marketing, I was like, oh, these are two things I love. It's like mm-hmm. math and then it's like the psychology of people and how they interact with stuff. So this might be the shit I'm doing for the rest of like <laughs> for my life. So then I um, 
we did that um, at an agency, went back to Temple to work at, um, for marketing for them and really just realized, oh, I like marketing because I was doing it for my school. I got to do so many cool things. And because the woman there who was like our CMO or like head of like marketing really just like just liked me and she let me kind of do all the like things I wanted to, all the partnerships. So I did this partnership with BuzzFeed um around that time and it uh really kind of we had like a case study I was like you can google my name now it felt good and then I had um, applied to complex a million times applied after this and then of course got the job right away because like it was all because and interviewing at like BuzzFeed at the same time and so got this job at complex and was like I'm finally in New York I never thought I would be in New York this way and I um got like I'm getting all this like like culture and all these things and publishing. I hadn't worked in publishing. It was really nice. I leave, um, I leave Complex to go to WME um, or IMG. It's like a, it's it's um, an agency, but it's like a, for agents, like not um, on the marketing side. But I was still doing marketing, and I and it clicked. And I was like, Yo, I like this. Like, what my? Because I have to change now from wanting to be the best person to ever do marketing. Because you know, after like you get out of your twenties, it's like I don't need to be the best at something. Right. There's always gonna be somebody better. Right. So um, if I'm not the best, what do I do this for? Because I have to find a passion that aligns with um, with what I'm doing. Like, because then I won't. How am I gonna do this for the rest of my life if it's not to get to? Once you get over destination syndrome of like I can get here, I can get here. I you have to find what connects to you. So two, three years ago, it just clicked. I was like, oh, okay, I I'm good at marketing, right? I know that's something I'm good at. I want to do this to push black and brown voices in an artistic way. So be that music and an expression of, of art through music an expression of art through writing, because writing is still art, like artistic, um, or whether that be uh, creatives, pub, I mean, creatives in like the publishing world, um, videographers, creative directors, designers, any, any artist. But if I can connect it to black and brown people, then that is what I'm going to use my, I like to be the the facilitator of that. And I don't want, and I don't have that artistic like lens for myself. So why don't I use what I do best and help that? So in anything I do and anywhere I go, that is the nucleus of why I choose to, to do it now. And that's how I came to my like passions and why it, why it's marketing, why it's creative publishing all those things it's because of that stem that science and math connection and then to empower black and brown voices wow um so talking i mean listening to you and kind of hearing your journey professionally how you've kind of just you know reached destination after destination um obviously mean you're a black woman we have been working for some years some years now can you talk about your experiences of being a black woman in the corporate workspace because i'm i'm sure you have plenty so this is a great time to talk about um, at my um, at a 2019 at a at an employer that I was at during that time. I had a really racist boss, um, and it was a woman. And when I say like racist, there's like things of like that we go through as, as black women of like, can I touch your hair or saying little things like that. But I mean, it started to get in the harassment level. Like she would say weird things every time it was just her and I and, and our weekly one-on-ones. Other people started to complain about it. She started to kind of like set my position up for me to fail. Yeah. And so um, I have to sneeze. I got the mouth. So, um, <laughs> so the, um, so I, I 
had had that happen at another scenario. So I knew to like, as soon as it starts to happen, let me just like check in with HR. I check, I keep checking in with HR. Just like, I want this on record, but I don't want this to be taken to a higher level. Long story short, it goes, other people start complaining about her too. Other black women are leaving because of her as well. And we, it gets to the point where we're going to like now open a case up. Can we use your um, your like stories and all of the things that you've recorded? I say, yeah, because it's about to be a case. Let's go. You know what I mean? Not the best thing to do. Uh, it turned into only my testimony <laughs> in this case, of course, because they need um, they need somebody who has like and I've recorded everything. And when I say I've recorded everything, I have voice recordings from our one on ones because it was getting that scary. And I was like, I'm just going to like this is like. I'm, this is my life. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose my job or something. Like because I'm gonna fail. And it was just that fear of every day going into work, feeling like you're going to war, and you just don't know what to do. And I'm thinking like, because now I'm like, I made it to this like level of like six figures. Like we always talk about. And I'm like, is this what comes with it? Like you, we don't know. We're like, I don't know anybody who has gotten to like six figures as a black woman. I don't know many, right? And not in this field. I know them. They might have gone into finance or something else or a different path. So I'm like, because I was never so connected to that, I was like, maybe this is like my punishment. You just start thinking it's all you. And um, the case comes up, it gets sticky. I get demoted, I get fired. Mm-hmm. So I, and, and I don't know what made me know this, but before I was, uh, when it was getting weird, I was like, I probably need to talk to somebody legally. Yeah. I don't know what to do, but like, let me just like, you know what I mean? Let me just go from where I always, like I said, I like more information about maybe only six months into that job. I, I started calling like words. One, I really liked, he was straight to the point. He was like, well, it's hard to prove like harassment case based on like sex or, or, um, or race or something like that. Um, so give me a call back when they fire you. And I was like, oh, I don't like that. Like I'm gonna get fired. Like, oh, I don't like this. And, um, then we end up, uh, I, as soon as I got, as soon as I got laid off or, or let go, they let me and her go. So now I'm feeling defeated. Cause I'm like, yo, they let the person go that I would even say something about. I don't know what to do. Like now they just like, they got me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I called my lawyer. He was like, come in the office. And, uh, we used that to, uh, to, um, to start a case and, um, to negotiate my severance because it was like, do you want to, I think like one thing that, um, I think is very important is once you've gone through harassment, what do you want to do? Right. Do you want to make sure you're okay? Or do you want to call those people out? She's already fired. So can I call them out? No. But what I think what we don't, sometimes what we do as black women is that we let stupid people inform our decisions. And then stupid people only want you to, whether they're racist, sexist, whatever it is, they want you to react on emotion alone because they are intimidated by you or they are and not even intimidated they just you know what i mean there there's just every notion that we know society gives so whatever societal factors go into the space i'll say that you're like i don't even it's just you you just are like i don't know like you know what i mean so you just start to think it's all you so um i get so i was like what do i want and what i wanted was I want to be okay for a year. You know what I mean? I don't know what's going to happen. Now, this is January of 2020. Mm. And if I can use this to negotiate my severance, let's do it. Mm. I got a sizable severance. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you, I was, I was, and and that's why you have lawyers do things for you. And that's why you kind of like pool, I pulled some money because I knew that it was going to be a little bit more expensive for him to handle it and not Mm -hmm. to just seek legal advice. 
that I was like, let's do it. Let me go to my tribe. We'll figure this out. If I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have been okay for 2020. And what he negotiated was amazing. But that was because I just trusted to know more information. So never get so cocky that you don't ask for more information. You don't seek it. And I think that like, um, as black women, we get a little bit like, like I said, jaded on one, I can't ask anybody else for help. Yes, you can. You're a woman. And I'm sorry, but I didn't make the rules. Society made it a patriarchal system. I didn't. So if I need help from a man, if I need help from someone that is more, that has more privilege than me, we can, you cannot let, because if that was the case, civil rights would have just been only black folks and how would that have helped? So I think that like, I always think about like, humble yourself to kind of what, what figure out what you want and to figure out what that needs. And that's a part of growing up. If your pride won't have you asking questions, if your pride will only have you going to other black people when there are other people that are advocates, people that can help, then you got to you got to start with you. Yeah. And I, so, yeah, that is the way to start to talk about my my whew. biggest thing as a as a black woman. Yeah. Do you want to know the crazy thing that I'm listening to you and like? When this comes on YouTube, y'all gonna see my faces, but I'm listening to you and the amount of consistency or similarities. Oh yeah, certain things you said is scary because yeah. you're like, how how we in different cities, different states, um, different businesses, but yet have experienced the same thing. And unlike your situation, when I had to consult legal because there was some shady things going on with uh, positions and severances and things of that nature. I was told, and it was great, like she was great, but it was just like a conversation. I was told, well, you got to have apples to apples. You can't compare apples to oranges. And because my role was very singular, I had nothing to compare it to. And so, that's the, yeah. But I think that, but I, I'm so, not to cut you off, but I think that like one thing I think that as Black women that we share and that we should just kind of vocalize and feel fearless with is that here's the thing one we're not black men i don't know how black men feel when they go outside i don't know that feeling of feeling hunted because we're still women you know what i mean like i've i had a um a situation happen um where i was with um some of like temple people gianni around the corner um during the summertime during the protest in new york and when i tell you that um eight officers jumped out of unmarked cars ran down on on four of us with gun with a gun out like you know what i mean like trying to intimidate people they could care less about me and zena could care less about me and the other woman that was there only cared about those two men and and intimidate them i don't know that experience and it shocked the hell out of me but what i do know is that as a what black men feel going out and that similarness that happens everywhere around the country and maybe even around the world is for black women, how we feel at work. We're already women. Mm-hmm. And then we are already black. And we are starting from a place that we just think systemically that we were working prior to white women working. We were slaves. We were maids. Before it was legal for women to work, we were working because we weren't considered human. So if that's the case, we know we've been prepped to work harder than people in a place where we're not getting promoted. That in turn internalizes a cyclical thing of feeling like you have imposter syndrome, feeling like you're not enough and people overlooking you when you're overqualified. So Hmm. that's the case. We're all going to feel that from female perspectives, no matter what, because any woman that wasn't working before we were working, which is nobody, you know what I mean? In in the States, it's already going to feel like they're behind just systemically. It's passed down. We were working. That was imagery that everyone has saw. 
So like that's a shared experience that we all have similar that black men don't know as much because it's still men on men. They have their own things, right. but mm-hmm. it's a little bit different. Something that like I think when we like want to respect each other and go forward, black women, we can't assume that you we know what it's like when you're and we getting mad where we're um antagonizing officers and stuff. Just just calm down a little bit because I don't know what it feels to be emasculated. I don't know what that feels like. But one thing that black men have to give black women is that when we're talking about work, it is not you're being sensitive. It is not, I don't know what you're talking right. about. It is the thing that black women feel across the board. Mm. Right. And because it's how, systemic, that's the point of it. How do we empower young black women going into the workforce? Like, how do we empower them to, because the, the black woman experience in corporate America, you know, is driving the narrative, it's, it's driving the story, it's creating the need for these products out here. Like that falls on, once again, on the backs of a lot of black women. So how do we empower young women to continue to go into the workforce and, and know these skills and these ideas that you have? I think for me, I, I won't always, I think it's okay sometimes to say we don't know the answer, but I think where I like to start is um, for starters, when I said, what did I want, right? When I was like coming into this thing, I want to be okay. The only way that I can be okay and not feel jaded by this experience is if I'm okay. And so I was I was very okay. The the publisher, the job that I got, um, that I have now, um, I got equity in that company. Like I own part of a publishing company because I made sure I was so okay that I could that I could afford to negotiate my salary where don't pay me that much if you can pay me equity. Like word to Beyonce. Like, you know what I mean? Like I that's what I wanted so I could be okay and then empower other black women. You can, and that is just this world. We need everybody at every step. So I think one, know, know your purpose and we should start empowering younger women to know your purpose and where you fit in the piece. Everybody don't gotta be a CEO. Everybody don't gotta be an entrepreneur. Know your place, like know your like know your ministry is what I used to say um, when the when the protests were going on. I'm not a frontline protester, but you know what I did? Everyone I know that was protesting, I made them wellness packs so that when they got home, they could have their tea tree oil, some Epsom salt, some eucalyptus. Everybody could feel good and replenish their souls for before they went out the next day. That's what I did. I know my ministry, and all those people are needed. So empower Black women to um, to know that what you're like find a purpose and where you are right i knew that um that i cannot be this leader for black women in my way if i didn't have the means that i see white men having you know what i mean like i like so i took a job where i don't have to be in an office no whether we come back or not to offices i don't have to be so how can i have more and and then i took a job at a lower company with a higher um with the higher title so that i could grow it like believe and I think that idea of believing in yourself too so that I can like start building my team we all we want to always be somewhere like I was like when I got off of that I need to be at complex I need to be at BET I need to be at yeah nah I don't I don't need to I don't have entrepreneurial spirit like I used to keep saying I don't need to start my own company but what are some some people let me look to the people empowering me instead of these names because guess what if we keep saying black black people black culture is culture then make the freaking culture where you're going like yeah. you just stop looking for these names to validate you and and by names i don't mean everybody start their own stuff i mean plug into somebody that values you my boss is a is a uh, lgbt is a lesbian woman white woman and it has been the best boss and my was i jaded by my last boss who was also a white woman and said i'm i'm no longer working for white women i think that is something that i 
talk to all the women that I'm working with now that I've empowered because my main thing was like, once I'm okay, I'm just about to put some black women on. So I identified two to start with. And then from there, I was like, this is what we gonna do. And when I tell you I have to talk to them every day about, or like not every day, but I'm being dramatic, but maybe like once a month about do not let a racist person stop your check or stop you from your trajectory. You're going to let stupid people stop you from, and I have to keep saying it. Like your pride doesn't do anything for you. Ego doesn't do anything for you because as people were getting dragged out of stuff, hosed down, you think they were like, man, I don't look cool being, uh, being, uh, shook up. No. So like if people before had to physically be humiliated and, and all those things, you can take one or two days of just being like emotionally humiliated. It's okay. And, and we learn that as we get older too. So I think that this idea of like always telling black women, like, well, if they don't respect you, you can leave. Okay. But does that help you? Like, did that get you further? So let's think of, let's start to like pause and figure out what you want. And let's kind of go from there. Let's let what you want guide you and what's the best, not stupid people guiding you to make an emotional and quick decision. And just like really having a breath. And I always tell any younger woman that talks to me, let's slow down. What do you want to get done? And and what where do we want to go with it or whatever? Let's stop. Don't make no decision quick. Unless you absolutely have to. People have always rushed black people to make decisions quick. So if you have one thing in, in this world going forward, we have time. Ain't nobody doing nothing. Take your time to make a decision. Quick decisions often aren't the aren't the most strategic. Right. And don't be afraid to ask for more money. Worst they, worst they can say is no. I here's the thing too. Always ask for more money. Yes, like they're not always more like, money so on the table. So yeah, yeah. I I don't even like to say don't be afraid. Ask for more money. Don't ask around at what another person makes either. Like do your there's there's um there's Glassdoor. There's things to look up and do the research yourself. The onus. This is the other thing too. You are responsible for your salary. You are responsible for your job. It is no, it is not HR's responsibility to take care of you. I think the right. one thing that we also have to tell younger black women is that uh, autonomy is chosen. Mm. Like if you want autonomy in your job, it starts with you because it's not your manager's job to look out for you. They're a human being too. Let's start to look at everybody like people and not like if you want to have a voice as a black woman, to have a voice like what you call it, then then take then own your voice. You should always ask for more money. I don't care if you're asking for a thousand more dollars a year. Try it out. You will be scared until you try it. Right. So next job, because like, and I don't think that, and I can always say, like, if you're at the beginning of your career, you you don't have as much bargaining power as where you get to me. You are Shannon, but right. at the minimum, you should be asking for. If you don't feel comfortable, they say that this is the cap. Ask for more vacation time. Ask for um a stipend for something like there's things you can barter with ask for working from home for a day but start that bartering process at the beginning of your career so that you know how to ask for more money at the at the end of at that like towards the middle of your career once you get a little tenure so i love that you said that yeah because that that's what i tell everybody um so speaking about all of continue to speak about all your work experience what has been the project that has meant the most to you in your career um, I mean, I think the bus one was pretty big because it changed my life. But I think what meant the most, I think what meant the, the most to me is like kind of the stuff I'm working on now. Um, just because I think once I found my purpose, um, it, it, it means more. So I think like with this, um, with this magazine, um, 
I really think that that's a good question. And I feel like I'm all over the place with it. But if I had to choose one, um, one project, actually, if I had to choose one project, I think it would be my last job that meant the most. It was, we were doing a, I was um, responsible for the marketing behind all the podcasts um, with different partners. And one of my partners was Mass Appeal. And so Mass Appeal, they're like Nas's like studio, his like creative agency kind of people. And um, one of the first podcasts we were doing was this uh, podcast on Freaknik. And so I was like, oh, this is a cool audio like story. And though I didn't necessarily agree with all the, um, all the way that it was, the story was coming together and the product of the of the art itself of the podcast itself I it was my first time being like I don't care about that I'm gonna take this because I can own this and do exactly what I want we we did a release party that was amazing the promo that I did for it was so good it was my first time kind of um, producing and um, and directing like a social series I didn't even I always used to say I'm not creative I'm not creative and we got we had to go out to LA um for like during Grammy weekend and try to get as many interviews as we could um, around the time. We're supposed to go get Lil John, all these people. We end up only getting, I think maybe two or three and one of the people was too short, but we were at two shorts and he was like a big voice in Freaknik and he, we get to go to a studio. So we had, we're gonna like be there for like a couple hours and like set this up to get video. Once I knew that he was in it, we literally on the fly was like, okay, this is gonna be my social series. So I'm gonna get like I had him talking for 45 minutes, made up, made up, I think a six part series just with him off of like 45 minutes of audio. Half was for the actual podcast, the other half I used in video and then in post production and stuff. So I think that like it just gave me a chance to believe in my own, like what I feel and the direction to go, like believe in my own voice. So that was probably the most important. You say you said you weren't you felt as though you weren't creative, but like I look at you and all right. I see is creativity. <laughs> I don't know because I just yeah I just think that like I was always like oh creative like they have a talent in that you know what I mean and because I'm not like a singer because I'm not a designer I always thought that there was no creative juices there and that was the first time I was like oh I I create. <laughs> Um, where do you what what in what, speaking of creativity when and speaking of your social media and, and and the campaigns that you have put across and, and just your your take on style like where does do you get that aesthetic from because I'm oh that's my I love when I see something that you post on Instagram or your social media or your Instagram stories and the way that you package this together because sometimes I overanalyze a, a look or you know, the way that per the mood behind it. So what inspires that style and aesthetic for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause now that I feel that like I'm connected more to my creativity and it gets me excited, I'm like, I it's just a sometimes it's just a feeling. Like if I feel like if I feel like earthy, then I'm gonna post like all everything that I I like that just made me smile that was brown or tan or nude. I'm just gonna post it one day. Yeah. But I think that like what I do now is I look for things that I wanna replicate. And I use the replication as a guide, but then what's comfortable for me. So when I'm taking pictures or when I have a style, like I loved Rihanna's mullet, but what am I going to look good as a normal person with a mullet? Probably not in my everyday. But what I can do is try this wig out that has a little bit of, instead of before I get something and see if I can do the, a little bit of a mullet kind of style myself. And so what works for me, because I don't need to go all the way there, but I think I, you, you find your voice and your comfort level. And the other thing that inspires me is I love just cool women. I love swaggy women. And to me, swaggy women, a swaggy woman is just a person who inherently is themselves. Like 
through and through. So you, I like Rihanna because she's just, I'm obsessed with her, but she's also seems like she's thoroughly herself. I like Tracy Ellis Ross because she like that dichotomy of being super silly, but being, you know what I mean? Just themselves. I like Kaylee, um, Haley Williams from uh, Paramore because she is just the coolest person. But I also like Melina, Melina, who was the director of Queen and Slim because she literally is, we society wouldn't say she's the prettiest woman, but she is one of the coolest women. She always is herself. She has this like way of being in between like masculine and femininity, like energy. And I really, so I think that like, I look for coolness across all the spectrum of, of colors, of ages, you know what I mean? Like, because I also think that like Helen Miriam is one of the swaggiest people because at 70, however old she is, she wanted, she exudes sexiness. But then, we could say that like Jill Scott is also the coolest woman because she literally is her through and through. Like she's sexy, she's beautiful and she's always her and what she does. So I always look for that. And I, and I think there's like men that are, that are swaggy too, but we give them that it comes from men. So I like to figure out women and then be inspired by them. So I'll look through their Instagram and do stuff. And then, um, and then like one thing on my, I do on my, on my social is this on Fridays, we tennis. I started at a tennis magazine and like lifestyle and culture. And I think what inspired me to do that was like, what would make me interested in this? Like if I wasn't interested at all, I've always been a peripheral fan of, of tennis. My parents played, um, but I wasn't, but I've, I've always liked some of the, of the athletes and stuff. Like I love Sloane Stevens. I love Serena Williams. Like I, you know what I mean? I've, I've followed them outside of being like a diehard tennis fan. So I was like, how could I bring that into my world in a place that people can identify it with? So aesthetic, culture, beauty, all those things that we think about, let me have a way to bring that in. I'm not going to just like, I could just drop it in with like other images that still speak to me. But I was like, I need a thing to like really know that this is like tennis to see that tennis was always around. We just never noticed it. And so that's how I got to on Fridays We Tennis because all these images I take from anywhere from Smino holding some Wilson rackets to a beautiful picture in like L of Sloane Stevens to just someone wearing um someone wearing some some Air Force or some uh, Jordan ones on a on a tennis court. We've always been inspired by tennis, by the by the culture, by the aesthetic. We just didn't know we were. Right. Right. So honestly, this I don't even. There's so many things to say. I'm sorry. I'm flabbergasted. But anyway, <laughs> so tell us what's next. What's next for you? What what what's going on? What's happening? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think that um, what's next for me is I've been I've taken this time, like I was like saying in the beginning, to heal from the inside out. So as my knee is literally healing, just had knee surgery. Um, I was like, and and during this time too, I was um earlier in 2020, I was like diagnosed. I was like uh, mildly depressed, and it's my first time really saying it out loud. So that's why I stumbled over it. And I think that from there, I always believed in therapy. I had been in therapy before, but there's just like, um, there's just like therapy thing in therapy that every like seven years, your, your, like, uh, something to your intelligence changes every 11 years, your consciousness changes and every 15 years, your like your whole life changes. And that makes sense. Right. And I think that in my new state of consciousness being like on the verge of like this, you know, 32 and the 33, I just was like, I'm, um, I, I'm wanting more and I haven't gone through therapy in this way. And, and I think um, I have a therapist I talk to weekly um, and 
I knew that I wanted um, a um, a woman of color. And so sir did the research to do that. I think, like I said, the onus and autonomy is always on um, on the individual. Um, and that could even mean that it's on you to ask for help. I'm not saying you have to figure everything out yourself because as black women, we feel like we have to do that, but it's on you to ask for help. It's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's We got to get rid of the stigma around that. And so um, I think as I heal from, from the inside out, I've learned things about what I could do better romantically, what I could do better with professionally, um, what I could do better from a, a wellness and, and, and mental state for me and what all those things even mean. And so I think for me, I, I want to, what's next is having a real balance of, 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 and trying romantically with relationships and with my, with my job. I have a whole different life now. I don't have to be in an office anywhere. So what does that mean for me and the things I can learn, the places I can go and how I interact with the people I'm, um, I'm like attracted to or something. And I think I, I want to say it this way because why do we always think what's next is like something professionally? Mm. I can't just like, like mm. what I'm doing and it's scaring me. It can, it can be romantic too, especially for black women. We wow. put all this time, effort and work into work. And we don't think that we should put time, effort into a relationship. Mm. What? You better preach that's on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, like that's crazy. So my, what's next for me is is really is really scrimmaging <laughs> in my romantic life and balancing that with being with being sound in my career. Because how can I do those two things? Because you can't work on everything at the same time. And now that I'm coming into my own, I'm the director of marketing for um, for uh, Racket Magazine. But that comes with like, it's a startup. So it comes with like building the brand out and, and more traveling and traveling that I didn't even know. I have to go to Madrid next month because that's just where they play tennis. <laughs> and so so it's really nice. But I mean, I've never been in these places. I'd be like, what country, what city is it in? I don't know. Um, and so, but I'm kind of sounding that. I feel comfortable now, finally. Like that's what your 30s are for. Like we, we're finally getting into what we actually wanted to do. So because I'm sounding that, work scares me every day. So that's nice being on calls with these different like entities and clients and stuff. But what I can work on is something romantically at this, at this moment where I don't have to work as hard at my job anymore. You work hard in your 20s so you can get to these like, if you're a good director, the job of being a director is to manage your people and make sure they feel empowered. To make you know, what I mean, that's a core part of that. To make sure you're still courting, you should court the people you hire. You should court your your um, the people above you. So as I'm just getting used to doing that more so than actual execution work and stuff, let me work on my personal. So I want to like, I want to like date. I want to get out and really date and and be vulnerable and be emotionally mm-hmm. open. So I think that's what that because there's a difference of dating and then being emotionally available. So sure what Talk. I, what I've noticed is that I've I've dated for a long time, but I ain't been I ain't been vulnerable with people. Thanks. I'm like until you, yeah, until you spill all your beans, I don't say nothing. I'm like, how is that gonna work? So so I um so what's next for me is is, is um becoming holistic and balancing my personal romantic and um and professional uh relationships we can't wait to see this I, I, anything that you do you're going to be so you're going to be yeah. so intentional with it yeah. and have this Thank level you. of intention behind it and purpose so i'm can't wait to see this next journey that you embark on and how luscious your love life will continue to grow because i it sounds like it's going to be amazing yeah. Thank you. You're not and I think that, like, yeah, 
Thanks. And also, like, we don't ever talk about it. Like, I like I just wanted to say that because, like, Black men, it's okay to be, like, you working on your relationship. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Because there's this, 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 this stigma about talking about working on a relationship because it's outside. It's it's so personal, A. But then why are you wasting yeah. your time thinking about a man? Why are you wasting your time thinking about this woman? Yeah. Get to this bread. Like, we have this, this because I know I'm the last person to talk about how much I love money and, and get, to <laughs> the, <laughs> get to that yeah. point. But, you know, understanding your love life, understanding that one thing that you touched upon about breaking down barriers has been so important to me and as a man. So I can only imagine how important and hard it can be from a woman's perspective to allow yourself to let those walls down and allow someone to come in and yeah. love you the way that yeah. it needs. you need to be loved. Yeah. And love them too. I think that like mm-hmm. the other thing yeah. too is like Shannon and you, we all relate to this, like as, as what we always see is that when you get to a certain level as a, as a black woman specifically, now there's no time for like they, they yeah, they're so high up that everyone's intimidated by them. They can't find a man, blah, 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 blah. Right. One, we got to stop saying that people are intimidated by black women. Like I, that was something me and my therapist was talking about, but you know, people be like me, my therapist, like the, the, uh, the, right. um, the meme, right. but like, <laughs> let's stop putting the 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 point of um of dissension on the on the woman i'm not intimidating that person is either insecure they're emotionally unavailable they are not like but it's not on the woman like people yes. could be intimidated that doesn't mean i'm intimidating like we can be soft we can be like you know all those things so i think that one thing i want to make sure that I do is like I start to get more visible in my job and have this like you know these titles where I have to talk on like boards it's like think about you just as much a companionship is just as much of this life as as a dollar is right you know I I just want to say there's just this whole um I don't want to call it an interview a podcast episode like I'm just looking at you and it's and me going to therapy and doing pretty much equivalent to what you're doing. It's yeah. so beautiful to see the glow of black women yeah. and you're glowing like, and you can see the internal, you know what I mean? I said that before, but it's like, you can just see the internal work that you're doing and exuding out, whether you know it or not. You definitely <laughs> your spirit is just taken all over this episode. And I love it. So, <laughs> Yay, thank you. It was so nice. Sapphire, where can people find you? Um, I mean, you can find me, I, I do have a website, sapphiresubs.com, um, S-A-P-P-H-I-R-E, subs, S-T-U-B-B-S.com. It's just like a landing page. It has my reel on there and a contact. Um, but you also can just like contact me through LinkedIn. It's open. Um, you'll see my face, um, and it's Sapphire Stubbs on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me there or even my work email too. If there's anything like if you're a writer, a creator, um sapphire um my first name i mean my my middle name s-a-p-p-h-i-r-e at racketmag.com racket spelled r-a-c-q-u-e-t mag m-a-g.com thank you thank you well we appreciate you so much for coming on the show um we love and respect you and we can't wait to see what you have next for us um Mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen this has been another episode of the not your enemy speak out sessions i'm your boy mr jared o white with the lovely shannon reynolds um, make sure you check us out on our YouTube page, The Not Your Enemy Brand, as well as our Instagram page, brand new Instagram page, The Not Your Enemy Brand. Um, we'll see y'all next time. See you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Not Your Enemy Speak Out Session. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at VisionaryCCB and who is Tim K. Interested in purchasing apparel? Visit VisionaryCCBStore.com. Until next time. 
Step out, step in, and step up.